You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Right now, if you have your copy of Scripture, I'm going to ask you to turn to Mark chapter 12. And in my heart, I'm, I'm getting a little bit sad because I know we're getting to the end here of Mark's gospel. We're going to actually finish in chapter 12. We've already covered those latter chapters uh, through, the, through the Easter season and other times throughout the year. But here, if you will, let's just pick up in chapter 12 as we hear a, a parable of Jesus that can truly connect us with the gospel that we so desperately need in our hearts. And he began to speak. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it was marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Let's pray. Lord, this parable is heavy and it reminds us of the hard and rebellious hearts of human beings. But God, what shines through this passage is a love that is eternal and a love that can reach each one of us and save us from our sins. God, let us see that and feel that truth down deep in our heart today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Three words, God loves you. I don't think we can say those words too many times in this world. You know, we often want to tell the people that we love, we say, I love you. And we need to be uh, very, very consistent in sharing that message of love for one another. But you know what's really profound is that God loves you. The Christian message of love is of course about fellowship between human beings, but ultimately it's about God's love that comes down to us. When the world is going at its regular speed, I think one of the casualties is love. The last six weeks or so, the world has not been going at its regular speed. Many of us have realized, I know I have, that whatever gear I was in, it was too high a gear. I was going too fast. Many of the things that were so precious to me and are precious to me, I had let slip. When we go so fast, when we go that fast, we're gonna miss the good things. 
I think that this is a really good way to think about what's going on in this passage because we have to ask the question, if God loves the world so much, how is it that the world seems to to just miss this? How is it that the world doesn't get it? Many of you are, are followers of Christ and you get it and you're excited about Jesus and you look around and you say, how does the world not get it? Well, here in this passage of scripture, we begin to realize that we will miss the sun if we pursue the desires of our hearts. If the desires of our hearts are what's really motivating us and driving us, that's when we miss the sun. The chief priests, the scribes, the Sanhedrin, whatever you want to say here, however you want to call these individuals who were the leaders of Israel in that day, these were people who supposedly knew God and knew the power of the scriptures, and yet when Jesus came in the flesh, they did not see him. Why? Well, they were moving too fast. They had their own agendas. They were chasing after, after the desires of their heart, and they missed the Son of God. I think this sounds all too familiar for us in our culture today. We have this moment. I know this has not been a comfortable moment for us. There's been a lot of fear. There's a lot of of concern about about people's safety and health. That's all true. But friend, during this time, you can spend your time worrying about those things or you can begin to ask yourself, what is it that God is trying to help me see? And I think the most important thing that God's trying to teach us today is that he loves us. Yes, I think that's the message. God loves you. And this passage will help us see that. God loves his people. God has shown that he loves his people. It's just that we as people often don't reciprocate that love. Don't give that love back. This parable that I read to you is really a parable of salvation history. In this, in in 12 short verses, Jesus describes sort of the process of the Old Testament into the New Testament and how he reached out to us and brought us the message of salvation. And as you heard in the passage, how people have treated the message of God and in particular the messengers of God and even more in particular the Son of God is shameful. And in spite of all that, God's love is still dominant in this passage. Let's begin by taking a moment and thinking together through the text about the provision of the Father. If you'll look in your passage of scripture, verses one through five give us the provision of the Father. Jesus was the greatest preacher ever. What he does here is very interesting. He takes a passage from the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter five, verses one through seven, and he takes those verses, that story from the Old Testament, and he uses that and joins it with a familiar picture of tenant farming in the ancient Near East. I wish I had some more time this morning. I would go ahead and read that passage to you, but I'm gonna skip that this morning, that Isaiah five. But look at that later and notice the similarities between Isaiah five one through seven and our passage here in Mark chapter 12. The only major difference is that in chapter 12 of Mark's gospel, what we have here is the mention of the tenant farmers and that's where Jesus contextualizes the message. He, he knows that many people that are listening to him understand that kind of tenant farming. And in those days, what would happen is a wealthy landowner would build a vineyard and often he would move away from it and he would allow tenants to come and tend that that vineyard and take from its fruit and live off that. And all he would ask for is his share. And so he would build it and in four years, he would expect to get some fruit from that vineyard. That's sort of the backstory here. But notice what happens. The landowner gives the tenants this land, a very gracious gift, and what they do with it is 
terrible. They don't want to share the fruit with the owner. They don't want to acknowledge his lordship. They don't want to acknowledge his presence. And everyone that that the landowner sends them is treated with abuse. This is a picture of what Israel had done. They had been given the promised land. They'd been given so much from God. That's the provision. They had the land of promise and yet they rebelled. They didn't listen to God. So what does God do? Well, the Old Testament tells us that God continued to send prophets to them and those prophets are are represented here in the text in verses one through five as those servants that go into the vineyard. And all the servants are trying to do is to just tell the message of remember who gave you this. Remember whose this is and whose you are and they didn't want to listen to that message the prophets were denied all the prophets were saying is return to God return to the one who loves you and and they wouldn't listen verses 1 through 5 are very discouraging because we see great provision and also we see great rejection These are individuals who are in absolute rebellion against the Father. And and if you'll notice here, there's no doubt, Jesus is talking about the prophets and he's talking about these servants of God that have been rejected. Today in the world, many times we know that people are not listening to the word of God. They're not listening to the message of the gospel. And, And so Jesus is bringing out a problem in his day that's really not that different from our day. You see, in this period, in this context of scripture, God had provided the land and provided even the prophets to guide hearts. He he provided physically and then he gives the prophets to provide spiritually. But people, then and now, they want prosperity, but not prophecy. They want good lives, but not God-centered lives. You see, the human condition hasn't changed in thousands of years. In fact, it's never really changed at all. We all want what we want. We want the desires of our heart. But when God begins to tell us something that our hearts don't like or or turns into some friction with our heart, it seems like our hearts win. We don't want that prophecy. We just want the prosperity. We want the land. We want the money. We want all the good things. That's not the way it works, though. God is wanting us to have God-centeredness in our lives, not just prosperity in our lives. Sure, God wants us to succeed. We are his children. He loves us. And those with ears to hear, those with hearts open to the way of God, let me tell you, they have everything they need. God has given you everything you need. What you need, God has provided. But here's where you get in trouble. You get in trouble when you want the desires of your heart more than what you need from God. Now, I think with the COVID-19 situation and with all the people who are, uh, have lost jobs or have the prospect of losing businesses, I think it's an important message to hear right now. We have a God who provides. He will provide for our needs, I believe that. But I hope that you hear what I'm saying today, that the needs of your heart are the greatest needs of all. You need to realize that what God has provided for you, that you need most, is the salvation for your soul that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. Often when we think of God's provision, I think we're thinking about what's in the vineyard, the fruit of the land, our jobs, our careers. That's what many people think of when they think of God's provision. But this passage tells us that the provision that he provides, that God provides most for us, is a relationship with him that can only be experienced on his terms and through his forgiveness. 
What a great word, the provision of the Lord. Now I wanna show you something here in the text. When we get to verse six, the gift of his son. Now so far you would automatically realize that these are bad people. They're, they're not going to listen. If they keep beating and even killing the servants, you would think that the owner would be fed up with them. Enough is enough. But notice what happens next. It's not that he pulls away, which is what is logical, but he sends his son. Now, when we look at this from a purely rational point of view, this is beyond comprehension. These people don't deserve even another servant, or to put it in the more literal sense, another prophet. But God doesn't send them just another prophet. He sends them his only son. He sends the one that is most precious in his sight. Surely these wicked tenants will listen to the son. But we see, look at the text. They realize who it is. They know it's the son. They, they're, they're, they're not mistaken. They don't think this is just another servant. They know exactly who it is. And that's why if you'll look down to verse 12, that's why those who had gathered there, they were afraid. The leaders of Israel were afraid because they knew that Jesus was talking about them. They too knew that Jesus was the son. But nonetheless, this beautiful gift that God gives and the tenants disrespect the son, treat him with disrespect, kill him, and even treat his body with disrespect. Look there in verses seven and eight. This is absurd. Why would people take such a beautiful gift, the love of the father, and do such a terrible thing? But also, why would God give such a tremendous gift? The compassion of God is the only explanation for God's action here. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment. I know this may sound a little bit crazy, but I think it's true. When we look at love, especially the love of God, it is not a purely rational thing. You can't figure it out, and here's why. God is loving people who are clearly not in love with him. He keeps expressing a love that is rejected. Human beings, I mean, if we express love to someone and they continually reject us, it doesn't take us long to say, I'm out of here, I'm done. That's what's logical. If you see someone that, that constantly has their love rejected and they walk away from the person, you say, that was the right move. Well, don't you realize the right move logically would have been for God to send the prophets, the prophets get ignored and he says, I'm done with these people. But that's not what God does. He gives us the greatest gift of all. Friends, this is a special gift. And I know that most people don't think of themselves as like the wicked tenants. We, we, don't, we don't hate the prophets and we don't hate Jesus. We're not, but listen, if we're not accepting the love of God, if we don't receive the love of God, then we are in essence rejecting it. Many of the people that, that, that were in Jesus' day, they may not have been the leaders, they may not have been the ones pushing back against the prophets and in particular against Jesus, but they weren't listening to Jesus. They were just living their lives in their own way. I wanna tell you, God has sent his son and that is meaningful for the whole world and that is meaningful for you. That is the love of God expressed toward you and your soul and you have to respond to that love. You need to receive that love. You know, most people that even don't come to church, they know there's something different about Jesus. 
I want to say this, and I, I want to be careful. I want to be respectful of, of, all, of all people. But I'm going to tell you, when it comes to the Christian faith, there's something completely unique about it. And I think people in the world realize that. That's why when it comes right down to it, Christianity seems to be one of those few things in the world that, that those in power seem to see as a threat more than anything else. That's why Christianity often, of all the world religions, seems to get the, the most hate in a sense. And, and I've thought about this for a long time. Why is that? Because our message is one of love and hope and salvation. Of course, people can go back into Christian history and see examples of corruption. Uh, that, that's true because human beings uh, are involved in the church throughout the ages. But ultimately, the message of Jesus is one of love and joy. But here's the reason why I think the world kind of pushes back against Christianity. Christianity is really the only faith out there that tells us that to be saved, to be honoring of God, we have to receive the grace of God. That's where it's different. All the other religions of the world are urging us to do certain things, to placate God, to please him, to show how good we are, that we deserve to be followers of God and children of God. But here in the Bible, we see something different. Now, down deep inside, every soul knows that Jesus is like no other, but here's why. Because of the grace and the giving of the Son of God. He gives us the Son and says, this is the only way that you can be saved. And so those who want to earn God's favor, the bottom is cut out from, their legs are cut out from beneath them. The bottom drops out. They, they can't do it their way. They can't approach God on their terms. You can only approach God on his terms. You see, the gift of the son, if you're a believer, this is the greatest message of all time. But if you're not a believer, you need to realize that this great gift cannot be ignored. You're either going to receive it or you're going to reject it. And to reject it is to put your soul in ultimate peril. You see, people want to earn their keep. But Jesus says, no, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father except through me. Now, um, some have said that, um, that God is dead. Uh, 40 or 50 years ago, that was a headline in, in news magazines. Uh, long before that, a philosopher by the name of Nietzsche, uh, he talked about God being dead. Let me tell you why Nietzsche wanted God to be dead. The only reason he wanted God to be dead is so that he could do whatever he wanted to do, so that he would be completely free of any constraints of religion or morality. If God is dead, then everybody can do what's right in their own eyes. So come back to the text. Why do the tenants kill the son when they know who it is? Well, they figure if they can kill the son, they can own the vineyard and it can be all about them. You see, the, the death of God, when you hear that in, in, in secular talk, there's no way that humanity, the creation, can kill the creator. But in their minds, people think if they can kill God, that will free them to do whatever they want. That's what's happening in Mark 12. That's what's happening in the world today. You say, how can people reject the love of God? If you're a believer, how do people reject the love of God? Now, let me tell you how. In their minds, they want what their heart wants more than they want a relationship with God. That's the sad reality. And if God is dead, they can do what they want. Think about this. The person who wants God dead, however, doesn't take into account the finality of his or her own death. In other words, it's not just physical death. 
but it's spiritual death. You, you, you can't have this equation where God is dead and, 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 and think that it's going to be okay because what, what about your death? The truth is, one day we're all going to meet our creator. One last thing to consider in this text in verses 9 through 11 is that this story is about rejection, but it's rejection so that we can be redeemed. God knew that his only son would be rejected so that we could be redeemed. If you reject Jesus even here today, you invite eternal ruin. But the gospel offers grace to those who will believe. Jesus, Jesus, a man of endless love, however, is warning us. Verse nine, the owner of the vineyard, he would come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. There's a warning in this passage. Jesus loves us, but our sins, we will be held accountable for them. I think Jesus is foreshadowing the church. The others, I think, would be the church in the New Testament era. But know this, nationality nor denomination can change, uh, can save you. The only thing that can save you is the grace of Jesus Christ. So in the Old Testament, the Hebrew people thought their nationality saved them. In the New Testament era, the era we're in right now, some people think that if they're a certain denomination, that saves them. But ultimately, if you reject Jesus, you reject salvation. It's not about your pedigree or your background. It's about the promises of God. And if you're not receiving the promises of God, if you're not receiving the gift of God's son, you're throwing it all away. Look at the passage here in verse 10. There's a quote here from Psalm 118 and it speaks of the stone that the builders have rejected becoming the chief cornerstone. Jesus pulls this passage from the Old Testament and makes this about him, about who he is. It's a messianic prophecy as he sees it and as we believe it as Christians. Jesus is saying, you know, you're going to reject my message and you're going to throw me away, but, but, but what you throw away is going to become the cornerstone of what God is going to build. The church is built on Jesus. That's what, that's what this passage is pointing to. And look at verse 11. This was the Lord's doing and it was marvelous in our eyes. What God does is always incredibly marvelous. You need to realize this, that, that even though Jesus was rejected, what he has built and what he continues to build is beautiful. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and following. It says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Skip down in 1 Peter 2 to verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So Peter picks up with what Jesus says here in Mark chapter 12. And Jesus picks up with what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 5. And it all connects to show us that God had a plan to save us and to build something beautiful. I know that sometimes our lives look like rubble, look like a disaster zone. But know this, if you will build your life on Jesus, you can build something beautiful that lasts forever. I wonder how many of us have been living our lives as though the owner of the vineyard is never going to return. Come back to the parable, Mark chapter 12. You know, these, these tenants, they acted as though that owner of the vineyard was never coming back. But we talked a few weeks ago about how Jesus is definitely coming back. He, he will return. And some of us are living our lives as though he is not coming 
again. You see, God loved us and loves us. He sent us his son. His name is Jesus. As the old hymn says, he came to love, heal, and forgive. But he will hold us accountable. And so this morning, as we wrap things up, I want to ask you just a couple of questions. I want you to think about what all this means. If God has sent his son, if this is true, what needs to change in our lives? First thing that I want you to think about today as we, as we wrap this up, as we think through this text one more time, if God has sent his son, what needs to change? First, I must pursue God rather than my own desires. If you look at these individuals in the vineyard, they are seeking prosperity for themselves. They're seeking after the desires of their own heart. Friend, you cannot seek the desires of your own heart and be desirable unto God. You're gonna have to make a choice. Secondly, I must believe that God has provided everything I need in Jesus. You know, the son comes and brings to us ultimately what we need most. In this passage, the most beautiful element here is the coming of the son. And what's beautiful about it is it's completely undeserved. You need to believe that everything that you need is in Jesus. A third thing to consider, I must receive Jesus's loving sacrifice as the payment for my sins. This death in Mark 12, the death of the son seems so meaningless. And anyone who looks seriously and objectively at the cross says, why did a man have to die like that? But we know that that death had tremendous purpose and has tremendous purpose. He died for you and me. We have to believe that without reservation that Christ alone can save us. And the last thing that we need to consider is this. I must let Jesus build something new in my heart. Something new. Our passage ends there in verses 10 and 11 talking about something new. A cornerstone is going to be removed from one building and something new is going to be built. Well, that's a picture of the church, but that's also a picture of conversion. God wants to build something new in the lives of his people. COVID-19, uh, all the scare that we have experienced, what does it mean? Some want to go back to normal, but I think Jesus wants you to go back to something new. God loves you. All this that we've heard today from God's word is pointing out that simple truth. God loves you. It's time for a change. It's time for you to experience the perfect love of Jesus. Receive him now. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.